to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. You guys are amazing. It's always good to be at Park District. Always love coming to Park District. And uh, you've been seeing more of Sandy and I. We just kind of like to come down here and hang out. So, uh, in fact, we'll probably be back here next week. You guys are going to see, have an amazing time next week, I know. Um, well, listen, as you're in this temple series, I want to address something that uh, we've had. A, this morning has been kind of a theme. If you notice the theme of grace that's been running through this morning? Uh, I mean, it was in the testimony. Hannah, what a beautiful expression. Uh, of the grace of God, and then in the worship, and then in the comments during the uh, communion, uh, grace, and it is absolutely every single thing you and I receive from God is because of God's grace. Aren't you glad for that today? It is because of God's grace. But I, I, I want to address an aspect because when we talk about seeking God, we talk about the grace of God. On one side, you, you, you see the expression of God's grace. But on the other side, you see the expression of spiritual disciplines. How many of you have noticed that? Okay. And, and, and you're like, okay, you have the grace of God where everything comes from Him. And then you have spiritual disciplines that require something of us. And you're kind of like, okay, wait a minute. There seems to be kind of some kind of conflict here. Well, hopefully today we can clear up some of those misconceptions and you understand the place that spiritual disciplines play in our life. It doesn't take the place of the grace of God, okay? We're not earning something by what we do. As we go into times of prayer and fasting, how many of you know it's not about twisting God's arm? Hey, see God, how much I'm giving up for you. Now certainly you want to do something for me. No, it's none of that. We, we don't fast because of what we can get from God, but we are positioning ourselves through that, for a greater expression of God's goodness and God's blessing. And I, I, I want to just direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Reader's Version. And uh, here's what Paul says. He says, in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. You know that, don't you? So run in a way that will get you the prize. All who take part in the games train hard. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So I do not run like someone who doesn't run towards the finish line. I do not fight like a boxer who hits nothing but air. No, I train my body and bring it under control. Then after I have preached to others, I myself will not break the rules and fail to win the prize. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And I pray that over these next few minutes that there might be an impartation of truth into the lives of every single person here. I ask you to anoint me to speak your word. May the Holy Spirit ride on the words that I speak. May they be like keys that unlock our heart and cause us, Lord, to have a passion 
for more of you. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for your glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, we've all been, we recognize the past two years has been probably the craziest season of all of our lives. It's everywhere you look. It's globally. Um, We've been going through some really, really weird, weird times. But one of the things that this season has done, if we're not careful, it can get our eyes off the goals. You can start being distracted you can start thinking that, you know, I mean, you're worried more about, you know, masks and vaccines and political positioning. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like everywhere you go, you're thinking, what is that person thinking about the way that I am? Or, I mean, it's just kind of a strange time, isn't it? And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know if you, everyone's learned to smile now with their eyes. You know, and but it's just, just kind of a wacky season. And so we can kind of get into this different rhythm that can actually put us into a spiritual rut. You know, we started out, everybody was super excited about, you know, watching services on Zoom. And I, I remember uh, early on in this whole thing, Justin saying to me, Dad, he said, we've had good response on Zoom but he said, I ha- uh, you know, we go online and, you know, we have these, uh, I think you had a Zoom uh, uh, Alpha and you had your services online. And he said, now I'm starting to see people, you know, they're, they're, they're texting me or, or, or commenting, man, I, I showed up with my coffee and my pajamas and went to church. It was wonderful. And I remember him saying, Dad, I don't think they're ever going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> But, but you have. Thank, thank you for being here this morning. Because it's such a weird, weird time. And we certainly, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, it's kind of like been out the window. Okay? You know, you, know, you go to Zoom meetings and uh, you dress up on top and still have your pajamas on at the bottom. And you're just in there smiling like it's normal. And, but the, and so, so we kind of get this thing. It bleeds into the spiritual. It bleeds into the way that we show up or even if we show up anymore. And all of those things. Listen, the reason why we gather is a part of our spiritual disciplines in following Christ. It isn't because this is just like a a nice idea. No, God wants to draw his church together. God wants to be among the corporate gathering of his people. You have something to bring when you gather. You come this none of us are as good apart as we are together. We are better together because of what each one brings. And that's what Paul says. When you come together, each one has. And so all of these come to bear in our spiritual life. And so I want to talk today about spiritual disciplines and particularly in light of eternal reward. Spiritual disciplines an eternal reward. Now, we're coming up. Paul is addressing right here, and he, he, he references the Olympic Games. Uh, the Olympic Games, of course, we, we see more the, the, the modern version of the Olympic Games. It's only been around about 100, mid-1800s, I believe it was. And, uh, but they started in ancient Greece, and 800 years or so before Paul was around, and went right on into the time when uh, the Roman Empire, in fact, it was the Roman Empire that actually 
uh, abolished those games. But they were very much a part of Paul's era. So when we think about the Olympic Games, we're thinking about some Paul understood. And that's what he's referencing here. And he's talk, he literally mentions the games and he's referencing the Olympic Games. And he gives a spiritual picture of the Olympic Games and as it relates to the way you and I lead our spiritual lives. Now, we're coming up one just, uh, what is it, February 4th, just next week, uh, to the Olympic Games in Beijing for the Winter Games. And um, when you think about the Olympic Games, you, you start thinking about all the athletes and all of the, the accomplishments of, you know, people in the past. And the all-time Olympic winner, medal winner, of course, was not in the Winter Games, but in the Summer Games was Michael Phelps. How many of you remember Michael Phelps? Yeah. Michael Phelps. What an amazing athlete. Um, he had 22 gold medals when he actually entered the arena, the last set of games. He won a number of a number more, uh, but he's the all-time winner of both gold individually and team medals. But it's interesting when you look at those accomplishments and, you know, you look at seeing that guy stand on the podium again and again and again and receive that medal. And everybody said, that is so amazing. He did it again. He did it again. But nobody ever understands what goes on behind the scenes. It's the same way spiritually. It's the same way spiritually. We see people who do great exploits for God and accomplish great things for God, and we never understand all that goes on behind the scenes, the stuff that's happening when no one else is watching, okay? The, the, the training aspect. You see Michael Phelps stand there, and you don't stop and think, what was his life like leading up to the games for the past year since he was probably six years old? Let me give you a little insight into that. His regular, for years, his regular schedule was this. He would waken and would start training at 6.30 a.m. Justin talks about early morning prayer and mid-morning, midday prayer and he started at 6.30 a.m. He would have six hours of swimming per day. Try that one on for size. And that would be six days a week. He would swim an average of eight miles a day during his six hours of swimming. Three days a week, he would lift weights for an hour. And then he would stretch for another hour. I mean, man. But listen to his diet. In terms of his diet, in other words, what he ate, Phelps would eat about 12,000 calories a day. He'd start out with about 4,000 per meal. And for breakfast, he would eat three fried egg sandwiches with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayonnaise. Then he would drink two cups of coffee, then consume a five-egg omelet, a bowl of grits, three slices of French toast with powdered sugar, and three chocolate chip pancakes. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's breakfast. <laughs> For lunch, Phelps eats a pound, would eat a pound of pasta, two large ham and cheese sandwiches on white bread with mayo. He would then drink about a thousand calories worth of energy drinks. For dinner, like you need dinner after that, <laughs> Phelps would eat another pound of pasta, a full pizza, followed by a thousand calories of energy drinks. Wow. Now you think about that next time you see, if you see, you know, these star athletes stand on the podium to receive the gold medal. What went on behind the scenes? Now listen, if you and I want to accomplish things for God, we have to understand that it's more than just God's grace. I am a grace man through and through. Through and through. But God demands more of us than just simply His grace. Now, I want to contrast just for a couple of moments the issue of why spiritual disciplines play a role in your spiritual walk, why they're important. Now, you don't earn anything from God from a spiritual, eternal perspective by your discipline. You can work hard for 30 years doing, you know, you could be like Michael Phelps in the spiritual arena, and it won't get you an ounce more of the favor of God in your life. It won't earn, you can't earn God's love and you can't earn God's favor that way. God just loves you. That's what grace, why grace is important. What Justin was saying, the pressure's off. You don't have to earn it. Okay, you receive it. But that does not negate the importance of spiritual disciplines. Now, first of all, I want you to understand that grace is about relationship. Grace is about relationship, but disciplines are about reward. There is a difference. How many of you know that one day you and I are going to die and go to heaven? Uh, heaven awaits us because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and heaven is the same for every single one of us who know Jesus. Heaven is the same, but how many of you know there are degrees of reward? There are degrees of reward. You see, a lot of people get these confused. Every one of us who receives Christ will go to heaven. Every one of us experiences to a greater or lesser degree the, the, the beauty of heaven and the fullness of God's uh, uh, presence and, and all that heaven affords. But there are degrees of reward. Now, the Scripture talks about that in the book of Jude. It talks about those that are, are saved, like just kind of more or less by the skin of their teeth. They get heaven. They get heaven. But they don't have much in the way of reward. Okay? Both are important. How many of you know both of them are important? And I think we can end up missing this. When we talk about, and, and again, I am a grace man from beginning to end, and we, for a lot of us, have just kind of come to the understanding of grace. 
And now you're saying, Pastor Ron, there needs to be some discipline in my life. Yeah, yeah, for all of us, there needs to be some spiritual disciplines in our life, built into our life. But that doesn't earn us salvation, okay? You don't discipline yourself in order to receive salvation. You discipline yourself because you are saved, okay? It's an afterwards. Richard Foster, who wrote an amazing book in regard to discipline, made this comment, a spiritual, spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action which places us in a position to receive from God the power to do what we cannot accomplish on our own. They read it again. A spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action which places us in a position to receive from God the power to do what we cannot accomplish on our own. Now, when you think about a Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps was obviously a profoundly gifted athlete. But it doesn't matter how, how, how gifted he was, if he had never been disciplined, he'd have never stood on the platform. Do you understand the difference now? Grace is the gift. Discipline develops the gift. Okay? Grace is the gift, but discipline develops the gift. Grace is a gift from God, but reward is earned. Okay? Michael Phelps earned something. The reason we applaud him is because he earned something. He had a gift, but he developed a gift. I wonder how many of us take the time to develop the gift of the grace of God, which God's given to us. Do we develop it? Do we exercise it? Do we see the fullness manifest that God has so graciously bestowed upon us? So grace is a gift, but reward is earned. Grace comes by faith. Hey, listen, when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you receive His forgiveness, and that's what Paul says in Romans, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Okay? So grace comes by faith. But hear me, reward comes by work. That does not mean we don't work. James reinforces this. Faith without works is dead. Dead. So there is a, a dimension. On one side, we receive everything by the grace of God. It's a gift from God. And then on the other side, we develop it and we, express the, we, we experience the fullness of it because we put some effort into it. That's why it's important for you to pray. That's why it's important for you to fast. That's why it's important for you to show up at church. That's why it's important for you to fellowship with one. All of these are practical disciplines that we build into our life that develop the grace that God has already given us. Grace is at Christ's expense. Reward is at your expense. 
grace is at Christ's expense. Reward is at your expense. So there's an effort that God is after in our life. Doesn't mean you're more saved because you practice spiritual disciplines. Okay? If, you're sa- if you've given your life to Christ and you've received God's grace, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But the spiritual disciplines that God wants us to build into our life will develop that grace, will enhance that grace, that gift, and enable you, enable me to manifest fully the character and the nature of Christ. Are you after that? I pray that you are. I know I've had multiple opportunities, and even in recent days, I've been deeply challenged by that in my own life. And, 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 and I pray this, that, that we would be the kind of people that will live a life in such a way that we will manifest God's grace because we've lived our life under the Lordship of Christ. Now, so Paul opens it up, and he, as he addresses in this passage that I read to you earlier, he makes the contrast. How? And so it begs the question then, if you and I are people of God's grace and we have received that gift, how then should we live? How should we run the race? That's what Paul's addressing. First of all, look with me in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. In a race, all the runners run. In a race, all the runners run. But only one gets the prize. You know that, don't you? So run in a way that will get you the prize. So he, he makes the point, first of all, that we run with drive, not casual. We run with drive, not casual. If there's anything that this pandemic has done, it's created kind of a casualness about spiritual things. We see it everywhere. I mean, we're kind of more consumed with, you know, what's happening around us in our natural world than we are oftentimes about what is awaiting us in the spiritual world. Now, I understand that this, this, is, this is challenging but God, what God is wanting us to do is to develop this, this attitude that he's still on the throne, he's still in charge, and we still should be pursuing him with zeal and a zest and, and going for God with everything we can. So he says, as in, all, in a race, all the runners run. But only one gets the prize. You know that. So run in such a way that will get you the prize. How many of you know you can have as much of God as you want? You can have as much of God as you want. You can go after God with everything that's in you, and you can receive something from God that someone else doesn't have. watched it. I've seen it. And if you want to be used by God, that is 
part of what God requires. One of the things I remember in, you know, I wasn't a, a big, you know, sports guy. But I remember them, the coaches always talking to the teams about how hungry are you? Are you hungry? You, you see, the, the team that wins the most isn't always the most gifted, but they're the most hungry. We, the ones that are really have got something they're driving for. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Work at everything you do with all your heart. Work as if you were working for the Lord, not for human masters. Work because you know that you will finally receive, here it is, a reward. What the Lord wants you to have. You are serving the Lord Christ. Have you seen the word work there a couple of times? You see that word work. We don't like that word work. We would rather ignore that word work. It's always easy to get amens when you preach on grace. Not so much when you preach on work. <laughs> it's always easy to get amens when you say it all depends on Christ. Not so much when it requires something of us. But if we're going to experience all that God has for us, there is some manifestation of how hungry are we for God. How hungry are we for God? I remember, see, I've known Hannah all her life. Literally, I've known her all her life. I knew her parents before her parents were married. So, I mean, I, I know that girl. And her dad, her dad worked for me for years, directed our international ministries at the church in Virginia. And one of the things that I, I remember the first time we did this, and, and uh, we would call for fasting. I remember we'd call for 21 days of fasting and prayer, one of those early times of fasting and prayer. And we would have literally, I remember there was like 1,300, 1,400 people that signed up to fast 21 days. Crazy. Wild, shocking. And people would lay down food in order to, to seek God. You see, fasting doesn't make God impressed with you. Okay, God, God does that. Man, look at them. They are real. No, it's not like that. But what it is, is what Richard Foster says. It is an intentional act that is positioning us to receive something from him an enablement from him, an empowerment from him to, in order to do and be something that we ordinarily could not do or be in our own self. And so it produces in our life. And if we're going to run after God, then we, run, we should be running with drive. There should be something in us that's propelling us and motivating us. We're not just casual. We don't have kind of a Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be mentality when it comes to the things of God. Amen. We're going after it. Yes. We're going after it. Amen. Here you are about ready to 
Just in the next few months, we're going to dedicate a building and have the open house. And what an incredible opportunity. I hope as you move towards that, that you're thinking about, God, what an opportunity we can have to shine for you, to let our light so shine before men that they can see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Our good works. Our good works. And glorify our Father which is in heaven. So Paul makes it clear that we run, first of all, with drive. Secondly, how do we run? We run with discipline. We run with discipline. We're not passive. Because there is effort demanded, there has to be energy expended. You see... If you are going to become spiritually strong, you have to exercise your spiritual muscles. You have to exercise them. That means you have to push them beyond their normal limits. You see, that's what really discipline is in the natural, isn't it? It's you keep pushing your spiritual discipline. You're getting out of your comfort zone. You know, too, too often we like to think of, you know, following God is, is, is really all about me. You know, it's about what God does for me. But we fail to understand that really, yes, it is about you, but it's also about what you bring into somebody else's life. Okay? If you're living your spiritual life only for you, that's a fairly low level of spiritual authority, okay? But it's when you begin to say, you know, God, I, I want to I live for you in such a way that my life not only counts for eternity and I live, you know, with an eternal perspective of, of, of dwelling with you, but God, I want to take some people with me. I, I want there to be some people that my life has counted for you with them. Spiritual discipline does that. We're not passive. We're willing to go beyond our comfort zone. We're willing to stretch because that's what, listen, if you and I are going to become more and more about what and who God has called us to be, we have to be willing to push the boundaries of our comfort. We have to go beyond that. Anders has been doing some boxing. <laughs> He's been doing some boxing. And his uncle Jarrett sets up a boxing thing. In fact, maybe some of you guys have been to his house to hit the bag and work out. But one of the things that he's done is he's been pushing the boundaries of what he can do. His uncle made him start running. Anders, how, much, how far could you run when you first started? Less than a mile. How far are you running now? Five or six miles. What happened? 
He developed what he already had. The discipline pushed him beyond his comfort. Have you noticed that in your prayer life? Have you noticed that in your prayer life? You start out praying, and you're like, God, I'm going to pray for an hour. Oh, God, and you pray everything you know to pray, and some things you didn't know you could pray or wanted to pray, and then you look at your watch, and like five minutes is gone. Yeah. Now what am I going to do for the next 55 minutes? And then you, you know, you keep going. You keep going. And then one day you look at your watch, you go, oh, man, an hour's gone. I can't believe an hour's gone. I prayed an hour and 15 minutes, didn't even realize it. What happened? You kept pushing past your, what you used to be able to do. See, if you live with a life, a life view of, of just your own comfort and your own, you know, you know, niceties, you never experience those moments. You never go beyond. And I believe this, that God wants to stir us in such a way that our own hunger moves us to go past where we currently are. But here's one of the beautiful things that happens in that discipline. Not only do you have an increased capacity for more, but you have an increased desire for more. I love this about God, that no matter how much of God you get, you still want more. In fact, the more you get, the more you want of God. Because He's so good, exactly. Discipline does that. It brings you into that place to where you can begin to experience it. Verse 25 says, all who take part in the games train hard. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Listen, if a temporal crown is worthy enough to, for a, an athlete to discipline themselves for it, how much more should an eternal crown be worth to you and to me? Paul, he writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. And you can't read the New Testament without understanding the place that spiritual disciplines play. Not in order to earn your salvation again, but to develop that grace and that gift that God has given to you. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he says, train yourself to be godly. Listen, when you receive Christ, you are godly. But how many of you know this? Your behavior hadn't been notified yet. Your behavior needs to be notified. How does it get notified? It gets notified by discipline in your life. It gets notified by you making the effort to develop what God has given to you. Sanctification. Now, just give you a couple of theological terms. You understand this. Many of you have heard it. Salvation is two things. It's justification and regeneration. Justification made you just as if you had never sinned. Justification. And regeneration means to be made over again. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So 
Salvation, or the grace of God, brings justification and regeneration. But there's a second aspect. It's called sanctification. What was sanctification? Well, sanctification, ju the, the justification and regeneration was all God. But sanctification is all God and all you. Salvation was only the work of God in your life. But sanctification is you and God. It's a partnership. So that's why he says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. You are godly. Train yourself to be godly. Training the body has some value. But being godly has value in every way. It promises help for the life you are now living. So in other words, there's reward for this life. But there's also an eternal component and the life to come. So how do we run this race? We run this race, first of all, with drive, not casual. But secondly, we run it with discipline, not passive. Third, look at verse 26. So I do not run like someone who doesn't run toward the finish line. I do not fight like a boxer who is hitting nothing but air. The third component about the way we should run is this, that we run with determination, not aimless. We run with determination. How many of you know there's a huge difference in running and running? You know, you probably walk outside this door in a few blocks, see some people running. Running is a pretty common thing. Have you noticed that? They're just out running. <laughs> Jogging. But what Paul is talking about is running with an aim in mind. There's a big difference between just going out running around your neighborhood and getting on a track and running with people towards a finish line. There is a finish line here. Folks, one day you and I are going to live to hear the Lord Himself say these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with much. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. Are we living for that moment? Do we have eternity in mind? This past week, Jeff and I, Jeff Walker and I were talking before the service. His wife Sherry's grandmother went to be with the Lord this week. And Amy Strang, I knew her. She was, was a profoundly godly woman, a quiet, gentle woman with enormous strength and integrity of heart and loved God, taught school for years and marked every student she had. In fact, Kristen Campbell, who leads 
one school of the arts as a part of our team came up as a little girl under Amy Strang, and Amy Strang marked her life for God. And I think about that kind of a life because she lived her life with a view of eternity in mind. She lived her life with a sense that, you know, one day there's going to be a well done. Well, I'm sure as she came into the presence of the Lord, there were celebrations and she heard the well done. Are you living for the well done? There's a finish line in mind here. This isn't just about being able to live our life successfully in this life. It's about also living for the one to come. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, I have not yet received all those things. I have not yet been made perfect, but I move on, listen, to take hold of what Christ Jesus took hold of me for. Let me ask you a question. Have you taken hold of what Christ took hold of you for? Have you taken hold of it? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have taken hold of it yet, but here is one thing I do. I forget what is behind me, and I push hard towards what is ahead of me. I move on towards the goal to win the prize. God has appointed me to win it, the heavenly prize in Christ Jesus himself. Number four, we run with diligence, not sloppy. Verse 27, first portion, he said, No, I train my body and bring it under control. The writer of Hebrews reinforces this same thought when he says this. There's a huge cloud of witnesses all around us. So let us throw off everything that stands in our way. Let us throw off any, some of the old in order to discipline as a part. There's the, the, the aspect of throwing off some of the old in order to embrace the new. Let us throw off any sin that holds us so tightly. Let us keep on running the race marked out for us. Let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the author of faith. He also makes it perfect. He paid no attention to the shame of the cross. He suffered there because of the joy he was looking forward to. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in, our, in other words, we run with a sense of diligence. It means you persevere. You, know, you go through some times that you need to press through. You need to press through to receive from God. I think one of the things that's happened that shocked so many pastors during this season we've been in, we've had two kind of conflicting manifestations. We had all kinds of people before, and I, I talk to pastors. Because I serve pastors, I serve pastors all over the country, and I hear the same thing again and again and again. We're shocked about two things. First of all, we're shocked about all the people that were seemingly so spiritual on the front end who just disappeared. Just disappeared like they fell off the planet. A little bit of shaking came. Poop, gone. Looked like they were the leaders in the church. They were their own fire group. I'm not speaking specifically. You don't have to come up with names. <laughs> yeah, I know them. A little bit of shaking happened. Poof, gone. They're now reconstructing their faith. 
They're not trying to figure out if I even believe all this. And then the second thing was we were shocked by is the number of people who weren't serving God or who were casual that all of a sudden dug in and said, man, I'm going after God. I'm not going to be casual anymore. Oh. And a new fire came up in their soul. I'm going to be in that number. And then number five, we run with devotion, not double-minded. Uh. Verse 27, the second part, he says this, that after I have preached to others, I myself will not break the rules and fail to win the prize. I think one of the saddest things that's ever happened to me through my spiritual walk and as a leader is to see people who once were on fire for God, once serving God, that are now nowhere. Now you say, are they going to go to heaven? I don't know. I'm not their judge. I'm not the one who they have to stand before. But there's a sadness that creeps over my soul when I look at their life, which was once white hot for God, and so clearly testifying of God's goodness, and now it's all about them. Paul's, Paul makes it clear we shouldn't be double-minded. We shouldn't have just a, a love for God on one side and a love for our, just a passionate desire for ourselves on the other. He said that after I've preached, my, preached to others, I myself will not break the rules and fail to win the prize. He says it to Timothy again, 2 Timothy 2.5, In the same way, anyone who takes part in a sport does not receive the winner's crown unless he plays by the rules. Boy, there's, 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 there's this aspect to this, and I'm going to close with this. There's this aspect to our spiritual walk with God that demands more than us just simply being thrilled about God's grace. I am thrilled about God's grace. I am overwhelmed and overjoyed at God's grace. But I don't want to be sloppy. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to be casual. I want to go after God with everything that I can. I'm going to ask you to stand. As, and we'll close with this verse of Scripture. One day, we like Paul will stand before the Lord and as he comes down to the close of his life. He says to Timothy, he said, I fought a good fight. He said, I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's a crown waiting for me. It is given to those who are right with God. The Lord who judges fairly will give it to me on the day he returns. He will not only he will not give it only to me. He will also give it to all those who are longing. Notice that phrase, longing for him to return. Are you longing for the Lord? Bow your heads with me. Father, we're challenged by your word. We're challenged by the call that you've placed upon all of us. Lord, we are grateful, profoundly grateful for your grace that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. But God, we don't want to be casual about it. We don't want to just simply be passive when it comes to all that you desire to do in us and through us.
So we want to develop it. Develop the gift so that all that you have desired and designed us for will be manifest. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room that, God, that there will be a fresh zeal and a fresh fire in our soul. May we have a fresh hunger after the things of God. We believe you for it and give you the thanks and the praise now for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. What an awesome word. Can we just put our hands together and honor that word?